0: Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tzerer, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I have a couple of brief updates for our community. We invite everyone to join us on Twitter Spaces, where we pre-stream each episode the day before distributing it on all major podcast platforms. For the platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. We also have a new NFT program with blockchain recorded community NFTs. These can be claimed from our homepage. So check us out, visit our website, and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for updates and potential airdrops. So without further ado, today with us, we have Nick Z, the co-founder of Evmos. Nick, welcome to Blockchain Recorded.
1: Hey there, happy to be here.
0: Um, Just to give uh, our audience a a quick introduction of of who you are, and then you can take it from there. Nick is a co-founder and contributor of Evmos, as mentioned, an EVM stack designed for seamless cross-chain DApp development that leverages the inter-blockchain communications, so the IBC protocol. He has previously done engineering work in Silicon Valley and works on open source blockchain projects. So Nick, what brought you to Web3? And uh, actually, later on, I'll ask you about co-founding Evmos, obviously. But give us a little more about who you are.
1: Totally, totally. So fairly early on, this was back in 2016, 2017, I was an undergrad at Cal, at UC Berkeley. And I happened to join a group called Blockchain at Berkeley that has become uh, a little infamous at this point. Um, And that was kind of uh, an inflection I joined an inflection point for the for the group because there were a lot of things kicking off in 2017 as well in the web three slash crypto space. One of these things was Cosmos, which uh, the group working on Cosmos at the time, all in bits, had an office based out of downtown Berkeley. And so that's how I kind of got sucked into to Cosmos specifically, um, having ha- after having worked on uh, teaching classes on blockchain development at Cal.
0: Mm, okay, so you actually uh, you go you go also way back and are connected to the Cosmos group.
1: That's right, just tangentially at first. So I knew of them, and then uh, some of my colleagues went on to start companies in the Cosmos space and start, uh, you know, found projects. So, for example, the Osmosis co-founders, Sonny and Dave, they also came out of blockchain at Berkeley.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And generally, I think uh, a lot of the foundational Cosmos projects are tied to Berkeley in one way or the other.
0: Right, right. Well, let's dive into the Evmos ecosystem as far as I understand. So, Evmos was launched almost a year ago. We were corrected. Tell us about the genesis story. Like, how did you get started? How did you onboard? How did you come up to you know co-founding Evmos, and where did you recognize the need for it?
1: Yeah. So to introduce Evmos, I need to introduce Ethermint, and Ethermint is, um, is is a project from early on in Cosmos's lifetime, and it was always kind of theorized that what Cosmos needed. Was something they called a peg zone at the time. You know, I don't think we use that terminology anymore. But essentially, uh, what they wanted to do was they wanted to take uh, the Ethereum state as it existed at the time and move it on, move it into a new chain built within Cosmos. Now uh, I don't know how much context uh, your audience has uh, on Cosmos, but it, would it be worth diving into into what Cosmos is for a little bit?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, because obviously, yeah, in order to understand where you're coming from, it, 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 absolutely, I think it would. We have an eclectic uh, audience, so you can totally brush up on the cores of Cosmos.
1: Super. So, uh, Cosmos is is not a chain, not a single chain, at least. It's an ecosystem of builders and chains that adhere to a certain philosophy or, or several philosophies actually a set of philosophies if you will um, and so what this means is uh, specifically is that many who build in the cosmos ecosystem you know believe in the app chain thesis the app chain thesis uh, is one that says hey it doesn't make sense for hundreds and hundreds and thousands even uh, of smart contracts to all de- be deployed uh, onto the same uh, blockchain layer, whether that's an L1 or an L2, um, because uh, ultimately, you know, the stacks that these applications are built on should be specialized for them, right, uh, and shouldn't need to share block space with other unrelated applications. The easiest way to explain this is, you know. Back in the day, you know, around the time I joined actually a little bit later, you had CryptoKitties launch, which was one of the first big, you know, famous NFT projects. And what you saw happen at the time was users who wanted to interact with applications like compound or Uniswap, uh, unrelated to the CryptoKitties launch, just couldn't. Uh, The network was congested because everybody was busy you know minting and and transferring over their their CryptoKitties. Um, And so this is an instance where the popularity of one app hurt uh, the user experience of the other apps and this is like an unusual experience uh if you're used to web 2 for example if you think about it um if a site like instagram is uh look looking at a lot of traffic Mm -hmm. you don't get a slowdown on amazon.com or google.com or anything like that it's it's a very strange kind of thing to accept and the reason for this is is because all you know basically the supply of block space of ethereum mainnet block space is finite. And so that creates this competitive dynamic between users competing for the same block space, right? And so it would just so happen that CryptoKitties users were willing to pay more to get their transactions included in the block uh, than the other applications users. They were just stuck kind of waiting mm-hmm. for their transaction to get processed. And so Cosmos says, hey, actually, there's a scaling solution here that makes a lot of sense. And that's the app chain thesis circling back to what we were talking about originally. And that means giving each chain, each application its own chain, which implicitly also means giving each application its own block space. So it's it doesn't need to be competitive. Now, the one downside to doing this is that you lose one of the properties that makes building on Ethereum mainnet so great, which is every application can talk to other applications out of the box. Uh, They have like the shared API, you can write in the same language. And once you deploy on Ethereum mainnet, you can assume that uh, every application uh, utilizes the same address space. Not so with uh, Cosmos, where every application is deployed on its own chain. But uh, the folks who were early to Cosmos thought about this and designed a protocol called IBC. Inter-blockchain communication protocol, as I think you mentioned earlier, um, in order to facilitate cross-chain uh, interactions. Um, broadly, uh, the Cosmos interchain, the collection of every chain that is IBC enabled, is branded as the Internet of Blockchains. At least this was a motto used early on, uh, which you know aspires to you know basically offer an experience that parallels what the internet does, you know, in Web2, uh, but built on top of decentralized technology. So I think we're, we're, we're going up, back up the stack now and I can finally talk about uh, Ethermint. Um, but one last thing before we get there is that, uh, you know, to make all of this possible, uh, the Cosmos SDK was designed. So the Software Development Kit, uh, that's what the SDK there stands for. And what this does is it allows builders to build their applications with an out-of-the-box customizable blockchain stack. So, right, for example, um, you know, most uh, blockchain networks run on the Tendermint consensus engine. And so, you know, they... Yeah, no, I was just gonna... Sorry, Dawn.
0: Sorry for interjecting in terms of the Tendermint, um, as far as I understand. So that's it's the base consensus algorithm, right? Some argue it's sort of the most trusted proof of stake algorithm. Am I on the right track?
1: Well, I m- most trusted is is a, is a subjective term here. But if I had to...
0: Yeah, it's a bit... Ex- if I
1: had to count the number of <laughs> chains that uh, yeah. use Tendermint, I think, you know, most... At least blockchains we know today likely use the ten- Tendermint consensus engine, just because of how prolific Cosmos chains have become. I think there's over two hundred of them at this point, um, and a lot of like early consensus attempts have kind of uh, you know fallen to the wayside. And there there are you know there are newer consensus algorithms than Tendermint, and Tendermint itself has been rebranded into Comet BFT. So there is quite a lot to say about this. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to get bogged down. I'm not going to say, uh, you know, one way or the other. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no, no. It was just to explain like what Tendermint was, just really quickly. But yeah, I mean, most of our audience is probably uh, familiar. Certainly. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, absolutely, and you know. For developers building applications, they don't want to have to mess with the, the like P2P like, peering layer or the uh, consensus layer or, you know, anything of of that, like uh, the RPCs for, for uh, block level information. Um, you know, this is all kind of not within the typical skill set of an application developer, someone who would be writing smart contracts and deploying them to Ethereum mainnet. And so uh, the Cosmos folks thought about, OK, how do we emulate that experience as easily as possible? Well, OK, why don't we build an SDK that gives developers all of this lower level stuff out of the box and allows them to focus on uh, building their application level logic with customizable modules. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you'll see this in some of the standard modules, like the governance module, um, you know, brings voting and proposing capabilities to the application layer of the chain. The staking module brings staking functionality. The bank module brings like the the typical like ledger balance tracking um, functionality as well. Um, and so these modules can be replaced as well. So if you don't like the way the bank module currently works, you can replace it with your own bank module, but leaving in the staking and the governance modules. And this is the kind of the beauty of uh, the Cosmos SDK. It's that they give you a ton of the, I guess you know, you call them like the standard modules out of the box, and you can customize them, you know, to your tailor made to your application's needs. Mm-hmm. So. That's the Cosmos SDK, and what ethermint is that we were talking about earlier. It was proposed to be uh, an EVM Cosmos SDK chain uh, that would, using a mechanism called a, a soft spoon, unlike a you know like a hard fork, it would not not necessarily be a fork of Ethereum. It would just utilize. It would be kicked off at genesis, starting at a certain block on ethereum mainnet and so the state itself would would be reflected on the Etherman chain so that that history that's all to say um, we haven't even talked about the history of Ebmos, but i introduced all that because it would be impossible uh, to to explain what Ebmos is without that context
0: absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely go, go for it
1: yeah so Ethermint chain never really launched. So we're talking back in 2017, 2018. I always talk about this, but I know that um, there is a video on YouTube dated to about 2018 um, that features Chris Ghost talking about Ethermint 2.0. So we know that at least by 2018, Ethermint was on its second iteration. There may have been more attempts to launch Ethermint after that, but ultimately nobody ended up uh, doing it. And uh, my co-founder, Federico, you know, had, had been working on Ethermint uh, at that time mm-hmm. and was frustrated that it hadn't launched yet. And so he branched out and made a proposal to the Cosmos Hub for some grant funding in order to start bring a team together uh, to launch Ethermint, which later got renamed to Evmos, uh, the, as the chain, um, and the rest is history.
2: Mm,
0: okay, and I take it then Federico brought you on to continue the EVMOS story.
1: That's right. So uh, Fede and I actually uh, met in our time at Blockchain at Berkeley, and that's how he got kind of wrapped up in Cosmos as well. And he's one of the core contributors to the Cosmos SDK and the um, uh, the IBC protocol too.
0: Okay. Um, so yeah, with, with what you just explained, I mean, you, you basically alluded to where Evmos lies between EVM and Cosmos, right? So as far as just my understanding is that so Evmos uses the Cosmos SDK, the Tendermint Core, and the IBC protocol. And if you can maybe take us from here, or if I maybe make, if I'm overgeneralizing this, please interject. <laughs> because it also for me, I mean, I, I, I'm familiar with Cosmos and I've been researching with, with how Evmos is set up and, and trying to understand the ins and outs. But it would be very useful, um, yeah, if you can maybe talk about this a little bit more. So in terms of Evmos being, where does exactly does Evmos lie between the EVM and Cosmos. I take it, it's like right
1: smack in the middle. Totally, totally. Yeah, um, that's a great question. So all, all Cosmos chains uh, live independently of one another, uh, and that's important to emphasize because sovereignty is an important concept in, in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, but they can obviously all talk to each other over IBC, uh, which is a protocol that's built into uh, the, uh, the stack. Ethereum doesn't support IBC, obviously, um, and so Ethereum has trouble communicating with most Cosmos chains that exist today. This is the gap that Evmos could fill by launching a chain with the Cosmos SDK, as you mentioned, I, that supports IBC and Tenderman Core and now Comet BFT. Mm-hmm. Um, Evmos could help out here because Evmos, even though it supports the EVM, it also supports IBC And there are plenty of EVM to EVM bridges out there already, and so uh, the proposal here was to build an EVM to EVM bridge between Ethereum Mainnet uh, and EVMOS, or or not to build, sorry, to to just deploy um, an EVM to EVM bridge between. Ethereum mainnet and Evmos, and then have users, developers, and uh, assets come over that bridge into Evmos and then spill over into the greater Cosmos ecosystem via IBC. Um, now, IBC is is a little different than traditional uh, bridge mechanisms in that it's trust. It's understood to be trust minimized by the majority of people in the space. I think there is some, con- you know, there's some contention around what trust minimized is versus trustless. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the thing to understand is is that um, IBC leverages like client proofs to um, to guarantee a higher level of security than, you know, what typical bridges that rely on on multi sigs might do. Um, if that's clear.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, and so that's why once you it's assumed that once you bring assets into Cosmos world that they're mainly say it's mainly safer to bridge those assets over to a different IBC chain the experience is a little better because the chain itself understands bridging semantics or can be made to understand bridging semantics. Um, and there are a few other mechanisms can that can be built on top of that. But uh, yeah, once you enter cosmos world, you're an IBC world. And that's where uh, that's where the improved bridging experience comes into play. And EVMOS acted as this port city as this port of entry into Cosmos for Ethereum, uh, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to take a little turn. I, I saw actually on, on Twitter today that there was a scheduled debate on, it's supposed to be, I think uh, <laughs> it was quoted as a spicy topic, uh, which is the cross-chain, not multi-chain topic, or actually it's more of a thesis can you actually can you dive more into that and the problem that addresses?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you think of Evmos as just this transport layer between Ethereum and and Cosmos, with with Evmos itself being a Cosmos' uh, chain, I think we might not be. Uh, 100% prepared to take on this on this uh, debate. But once you start to realize that, hey, actually, IBC as an arbitrary message passing uh, mechanism between chains can support not just liquidity transfers, but any arbitrary message. So that includes smart contract function calls. Right, so a smart contract on Evmos can call a smart contract on a different Cosmos chain like Juno. It can call into you know the native chain functionality on chains like Cosmosis, etc. And what that means is actually, hey, you can build these cross chain experiences.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can build applications that support these cross chain experiences, um, and that's what we mean by cross chain. It's that you know you can deploy an application on Evmos, let's say and it can interact with applications on Juno, right? which is very atypical, really, for a blockchain. Typically, you know, when we think of blockchains, you need to deploy a, a decentralized application to the same chain in order to, to interact with, with other decentralized applications on that chain. But IBC allows decentralized applications to go cross-chain in a trust-minimized fashion, reducing the friction there, right? And so kind of the thesis here is that, hey, actually, you know, there's, uh, there's a famous Vitalik post about how he believes the future will be uh, multi chain, meaning that, you know, applications will deploy the same set of contracts to multiple chains. And, and, you know, they'll have to maintain those instances independently. Whereas uh, the cross-chain folks believe, hey, you know, this is a terrible developer experience, let alone a terrible user experience, right? Because you're basically fragmenting things like Mm -hmm. uh, the same tokens across multiple chains, you know, they might not be fungible when you bring them together, when you can try and consolidate, since these are, uh, you know, different deployments. The bridging experience is, is bespoke from that and it varies from chain to chain. So the chains between Ethereum and Avalanche may be different than uh, Solana and Phantom. Um, and that also affects the user experience. And so, you know, the question here is, hey, actually, why don't we move towards a world where you deploy once and can run everywhere? Like as a developer, um, why can't you, you know, build anywhere and reach any user any asset out there that exists on any other chain why does it ma- why should it matter uh, where you choose to end up deploying? why do you have to worry about that sort of lock-in at that point if that makes sense yeah, why yeah. do you have to um, why do you have to think about scaling in such a such an inefficient way you know in, in terms of like having to deploy and manage several instances of the same code every time so if there's a you know security vulnerability, the patch involves changing the code on multiple different blockchains, not just one, and having to understand the quirks and nuances of each of that blockchain's uh, execution stack. Right. Uh, so in most cases, that's the EVM, but that can also be like the SVM, like the Solana VM, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, yeah, I think a lot of what Cosmos is building towards is this cross-chain future where. Uh, developers can build on the stack that best suits their applications and their users' needs. And then they'll be able to, uh, as we call it, go anywhere, uh, go you know they'll be able to, to, to go everywhere regardless of, of what users are using their own native chain or a different chain. So they'll still be able like, for example, for someone who deploys on Evmos, um, they'll still be able to reach users on injective, let's say. Those users on Injective don't need to be EVMOS users. However, they still will have access to EVMOS applications. And that's the guarantee we want to make developers. Like, for example, um, in Web2, developers who deploy on AWS aren't siloed to... AWS, they can still reach users who may be using applications on, I don't know if this is like a great analogy, I don't know if it translates very well, but they can still reach users who are using applications um, built on top of like Google Cloud or something, right? And so like having to have the user actually think about uh, and can have to consider both the blockchain they're using as well as the bridge layer that they may be using is a little counterintuitive. It's a little bit of an anti-pattern. Um, and as much as possible, Cosmos is, again, like I said earlier, they're trying to build towards this future where you have the Internet of blockchains, You know, an experience that mirrors what we're used to um, on the native Internet. And an experience like that is only really possible um, in a cross-chain world where developers can reach anyone, anywhere with their applications and users don't have to worry about bridge risk.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you actually just uh, you alluded to. Um, I was going to ask about the siloed blockchains. It's it's also in uh, in, in Evmos's Twitter description. In, so, it, which which says home for native cross chain applications, build apps free from the confined the confines of siloed blockchains. So this goes sort of hand in hand with what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it, it all goes back to this central idea. For Evmos, at least, you can think of Evmos as this this programmable interoperability layer or middleware for decentralized applications that does like this co- this cross chain coordination mm-hmm. between multiple Cosmos IBC chains um, and also between Ethereum and, and the rest of Cosmos. So essentially, uh, if you have workflows that span, uh, you know, a ton of other chains um, or even just one other chain, you can build those workflows into Evmos and Evmos uh, will execute them, you know, for you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does.
1: Um, and so, like, it went to, uh, concretely, what this might look like is if you were to to want be like what what does a leveled up Aave look like right now Aave is deployed on several chains but these instances uh, you know rarely talk to each other so what does you know how do we improve on that well what we can do is we can say well you know take take a cross chain Aave for example that's deployed on Evmos and a bunch of other chains now you as a borrower you know uh, looking to take out a loan you can you actually have access to lenders like um, you know liquidity from lenders from several different chains as opposed to just your own chain where liquidity might be limited. And so you can actually lend on chain A and and borrow against that on chain on chain B, and have the application just do all of the verification logic to to make that happen. Right. And you can have, you know, many to many relationships between a single application and other applications built on other chains here. And of course, their users and all the assets that uh, underlie each of them, um, if that makes sense. Now, this also kind of addresses one of the key constraints within the Cosmos ecosystem, which is that chains that just do one thing, chains that just, you know, run a single application or a few applications are typically smaller than, uh, you know, monolithic, bigger chains like Ethereum, mainnet that, you know, may support hundreds or even thousands of applications. But this ultimately doesn't matter as much, you know, so, you know, things like TVL and volume aren't really the correct metrics to look at when looking at Cosmos chains because they do support smaller use cases, right? And it's understandable that smaller use cases may have like, you know, small, like less usage, right? right? But keep in mind that the TVL that a Cosmos chain has access to, you know, for let's say swaps for cross-chain asset swaps, the liquidity that a chain a cosmos chain has access to isn't just uh, limited to the liquidity that lives on that chain but the liquidity that can be found across any cosmos chain out there of which there are about like I think over 200 at this point
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, let's. It would be actually really good. To
1: Let me know if, if any of the, if, if any of that didn't make sense, and I can go deeper. No,
0: no, no. It, it it totally does. No, it's um, it's just piecing it together. I'm just uh, no, it absolutely does, and I'm glad to to dive into more of the technical framework. So, okay, just just backtracking. Okay, we know EVMOS is based on the Cosmos SDK stack. Um, it's EVM fully interoperable chain. Just trying to maybe for for the audience. If you could explain the differences between fully interoperable evm chains and other evm chains
1: yeah totally so interoperability isn't like a like a formal property or anything like that but broadly the way we use it um, in the cosmos ecosystem is that essentially the Evmos chain can interact with with other chains and sort of the design space that that opens up lends itself well to a broader set of tooling and applications that can be built on top of those kinds of stacks. So if you take, for example, um, a chain like Ethereum mainnet or Polygon or Avalanche, um, so... All of the, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you know, a few years ago, I would have said with confidence that, you know, a lot of the applications there are restricted to their, their own mainnet, right, their own chain. Um, nowadays, I think all of those ecosystems are seeing kind of this flourishing of, of um, a, a new paradigm, which is, you know, for example, Avalanche is launching its, its subnets. Um, And that kind of mirrors kind of what the Cosmos ecosystem is doing with its app chain thesis. And so Mm -hmm. applications, I assume, on, uh, on Avalanche will be interoperable. With those subnets that are launching, applications built on top of these new subnets that are launching. Uh, what I mean by interoperable is just that you know it's short, you know, short for interoperate, right? So, um, or it's a you know the adjective for interoperate, and so it means exactly what it sounds, which is like you know they can just uh, two chains can interact with one another, and the way we we mean it is is that that experience is seamless, trust minimized, and actually built into the protocol as opposed to relying on a third-party bridge. So nowadays there are plenty. Of uh, general message passing bridges, um, you know, I know Axelar, Seller Layer Zero, um, uh, Hyperlane, um, all these are protocols that are built on top of the execution layer, the EVM layer for a lot of uh, blockchains. Um, but this means that the protocol itself doesn't understand what they are, it just sees them as another smart contract, and um, these bridges typically introduce um, like a different attack surface to the equation. Right. So, um, you know, when you're inter operating between two different uh, chains, um, you're basically trusting uh, chain chains A and B simultaneously and then introducing uh, a third party bridge. Uh, you know, means you have to trust that bridge as well, right? Even if you trust chain A and if you trust chain B, you also have to trust the bridge that you're using in. Ideally, we don't have to do that in a perfect world. We would be able to interoperate uh, seamlessly between chains A and B uh, in a trust minimized fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where IBC comes in here. Um, And so that's what we mean when we talk about Evmos being uh, an interoperable EVM. It's that you can build for the cross-chain by default uh, with an API that the protocol itself provides as opposed to, uh, you know, a third party bridge, uh, which has the additional benefit of being ergonomic um, and and, uh, much better for the developer experience.
0: Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Thanks for that. You know, we my team and I, you know, we we talk. Obviously, there's so much talk about security and scalability and decentralization. I mean, this is what everyone's sort of obsessed with. Where would you place Evmos on the blockchain trilemma diagram? I hope I'm not putting you on the spot (laughs) with this question.
1: No, yeah, yeah, not at all. It's a good question. Um, because uh, I think when people talk about this diagram, I mean, I, I remember kind of hearing about the blockchain trilemma for the first time, like early on in like 2016, 2017. Um, and I think we've come a long way since then. We, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of come up with orthogonal methods of, of addressing like the scalability issue for example um, like uh, l2s didn't exist when when this um, this trilemma you know came about and like
0: the, yeah, know, the app chain the theory
1: yeah mm-hmm. the app chain thesis, wasn't around as a mechanism for scaling, you know, Ethereum. And so I think, you know, people would look at it very differently back then. And there's also like proof of work versus proof of stake. And these these properties apply differently to proof of work right. chains versus proof of stake chains. So, for example, you know, when it comes to decentralization, you look at proof of work and you say, well, OK, you might want to take into account like the ge- the geographic distribution of, of the nodes, right, the nodes themselves, whereas um, Whereas in Mm -hmm. proof-of-stake, it matters a little bit less, uh, especially for the way Tendermint consensus runs. The geographic distribution is a little separate from the economic decentralization of the chain. And so what I mean by that is that actually uh, it doesn't matter if you have like 20 different node operators or 100 or 1000 the what what does matter is how spread out the stake is. It doesn't matter if you have like two hundred node operators, but one of them has you know two thirds of the stake versus if you have twenty uh, node operators and the stake is evenly distributed across them, right? Yes, and so that that matters a lot for decentralization and broadly you know, you can think of decentralization as, as the property of like, how difficult is it to attain, you know, how to attain like a, a supermajority in the network, you know, how, how difficult is it to actually subvert uh, the node operators of the network. Um, and I guess, you know, for for some networks, it might not even be the node operators, right? If you're working with delegated POS, you know, you might be delegating to like non-validating nodes or different actors, and so it gets really dicey and complicated there. Um, you know the the other things that you might want to consider with decentralization is how resistant is it to these like social layer attacks? Um, like for example, mm-hmm. you know an interesting case study is you know FTX and Solana, and when the FTX incident went down, oh, there was a mass unbonding on Solana reducing its uh, security right and we'll talk about what security means as well right but uh, the you know one might argue that uh, the reason for that is because Solana wasn't sufficiently or its interests weren't sufficiently decentralized right and that's why something like that could happen and this has nothing to do with with the protocol itself you know this is just like a real-world incident that causes this to happen you know I think the most quantitative measure of decentralization is the Nakamoto consensus, uh, which is, uh, I forget the formal description, but basically, it's the minimum number of nodes uh, that it would take to to subvert the network or the minimum number of actors that it would take to subvert the network. And so uh, that's also important to take into account, but what I'm trying to paint a picture here of is that decentralization doesn't really have a formal definition, right? Um, I think the definition is much clearer in proof-of-work world versus proof-of-stake world. Um, Now, how this applies to Evmos is, Evmos has 150 permissionless validators um, running proof-of-stake. That number can change in the future. Uh, That is all governance controlled and so governance can decide to up the number of validators that are running on the network. Right now, it's like, you know, it's there are finite validator slots that can actively produce blocks. And, you know, some might look at that and say, well, you know, Ethereum has like thousands of validators, whereas Cosmos chains have like typically within the range of 50 to 200 validators isn't isn't that bad for decentralization but again you know going back to the point well that that where well in in cosmos proof of stake model you only you only really need to look at the, the way the stake is distributed over over the set of block producing nodes um and that's the important thing there
0: yeah yeah Go
1: ahead. <laughs> I was about to move on to security, sorry. In, in case you had anything to, add there.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no. Go ahead. So, sorry, yeah, I think we have a lag, <laughs> so it's it's awkward if like if I keep jumping in. So yeah, go for it. Security.
1: Yeah, no worries. So you know the way I like to think about security is uh, not in terms of. I mean, a lot of people think about security in terms of like, oh, has your has the code been been audited? You know, is there a possible exploit or a possible bug in the code? That uh, that makes it insecure, but that's not typically what's meant by security. Uh, a lot of people might call call this like uh, game theoretic security. That's the security that I think people typically uh, look at when it comes to uh, when it comes to blockchain networks. Not not to understate the fact that like code security is important. Mm-hmm. You know, audits are important, best practices, testing, etc. These are all things to have but the, when we talk about security we talk about okay you know like economic security or our you know consensus level security like is it how easy is it to execute like a long-range attack or like an eclipse attack um, and how economically secures your network in the first place so, you know, for example, and this goes hand in hand with decentralization a little bit, but would it be easy for somebody to obtain a supermajority of your network and then kind of compromise it that way? And would it be in anyone's best interests to do so? So that that leans more towards like the decentralization um, element. But uh, yeah, can can people censor your your transactions? Can validators mm-hmm. execute like a double spend? Maybe not natively on the chain, but can they you know spoof a double send to like somebody who like an, like an off chain light client? Um, or to another network that is uh, relying on consensus proofs to validate the state of your chain. These are all things that we typically think about when it comes to security. And I think if you had to summarize it, like you know, can, is there is there a way to steal uh, a user's funds in a way that is like unexpected by the core protocol, right? That that is kind of maybe the best way I would describe it right now on the spot and typically uh you know when people talk about security also they'll refer to like the number of tokens bonded to a network so you know this is like a function of the number of tokens uh relative to the number of tokens unbonded and also the price of those tokens so you know like um you'll hear often that oh you know Ethereum has over 20, 30 billion dollars worth of security backing like each and every transaction, each and every application built on Ethereum. Now that is, of course, going to be much, much lower for uh, Cosmos chains because they are smaller chains. But the interesting thing is that actually you can do things like borrow security from, you know, another chain and in that way increasing the security of, of your own protocol. You can also share security, you know, bi with them in a, in a mechanism called mesh security. Um, and what this means is that every chain in the mesh benefits from additional security where essentially nodes from, from all chains are, su- are subject to, to slashing. Right. uh, For misbehavior. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, misbehavior is, I guess, another framing to to think about security. And so, you know, this is still fairly early on in the Cosmos ecosystem. I think interchain security has come to the Cosmos hub or, or is in the process of coming. To the cosmos hub uh, there are con- consumer chains what I mean by that is chains that consume the cosmos hub security and that's the chain that, that Adam lives on by the way in case any of your audience members have, have heard of Adam yeah right and it gets it gets confusing because there's the cosmos ecosystem and then the cosmos hub the cosmos ecosystem obviously is not a chain right the hub is a chain anyway that's a whole that's a whole kind of a story in itself but um, yeah, just this is all to say that there are ways that Cosmos is working on building up each chain security um, in a way that could parallel uh, Ethereum's s- security and the security that it offers to its L2s, right? Because L2s don't need to worry about this for the most part.
0: Right. Well, speaking of security, so I remember reading so that there were talks regarding shared security on Cosmos. So if I'm understanding correctly, I mean, are there any signs on that front? Like, are you having shared security with Cosmos?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think right now the first chains that are launching are are Neutron. Neutron's chain is launching that shared security with the Cosmos hub. Um, Eventually, Stride, which is a liquid staking zone, will also move to share security with uh, the Cosmos hub for Atmos, um shared security isn't uh, as big of a priority as uh, right now because it's not it's not a new chain it has already managed to accrue some security to itself mm-hmm. um, via you know the bonding mechanism and slashing okay. EVMOS itself is seen as a hub for EVM applications. And so what we might get is uh, applications that are built on EVMOS today, launching their own chains and sharing security with EVMOS. But really what's most likely to happen is to have EVMOS share security with other big chains within the Cosmos ecosystem, like Osmosis, Juno. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that way, like I mentioned, You know, both offering its own security to them as well as consuming their security, um, and to to the net benefit of all three chains, right? Uh, And and any other chains to which the mesh is extended to. And yeah, I hope hope that answers the your question there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, Back to decentralization. I think you painted a, a fair representation or like an explanation of what the decentralization term means in terms of stake distribution. Can you talk a bit more about how the validation works with Evmos? I mean, I, I did actually, I, I took a look at at the uh, Block Explorer and I saw that there were roughly 150 active validators. Are you planning to extend this number?
1: Yeah, totally. So it's it's not... Really up to me as a contributor to the MOS project. It's mm-hmm. it's up to governance to so you know Cosmos chains are really interesting in that they're also DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, yeah. Uh, yeah. with that have governance modules built into them. Uh, and what this means is that hey, they can vote on changing their own parameters in governance in protocols. So there's not really a need to do like the Uh, The snapshot governance that Ethereum applications are used to uh, because Ethereum has like not not a very good understanding of, of governance, right? Like the Ethereum mainnet doesn't have like governance and voting primitives built into it. Um, in the same way that Cosmos does, at least. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, governance may decide that, hey, we want to actually up the number of active validators running our network. So once you run a validator, taking it from the top, once you decide, hey, I want to run a validator, all you have to do is uh, download the uh, EVMOS client software run a few commands. You know, First of all, you need to find you know ensure that you have a good list of peers to connect to. Mm-hmm. And you can hop in the Discord for that. Uh, I think there are a few repos out there that list uh, most peers. But uh, essentially, yeah, all you need to do is download the client software, have a list of peers at the ready, configure your node properly. Once you've connected to the network, you cr- make a transaction that establishes uh your you know your public validator or your operator address as as a, as a valid uh, validator on the network and you start off as inactive at that point you're you're not producing blocks because you're not in the active set of 150 validators so there are 150 active validators there are many more uh entities out there that have created validators that either never Entered the active set in the first place or were kicked out of it uh, after some time because they couldn't compete with the rest of the folks in the validator set. Mm-hmm. After you've established your validator, you need to be able to convince, you know, you need to be able to bond some amount of tokens to your validator, but then you also need to be able to convince uh, outside users to delegate to you. Right. If that makes sense. Yes. And uh, basically the 150 validators act- uh, active set is uh, the set of the validators with the highest amount of tokens bonded to them, delegated to them. Right. Which also confers like, you know, voting rights and uh, some amount of staking rewards.
0: Mm hmm. hmm. By the way, are you directly connected to um, to a centralized exchange.
1: Um, so I know that there are a few centralized exchanges that list the Evmos token, but we ourselves don't really communicate with uh, with exchanges to to do the listings or anything like that. I mean, Evmos is a permissionless protocol, and any exchange is welcome to to list the Evmos token.
0: Mm, right, right, great. Well, I think we, there's been a lot of the, on the technical front. I have like a bit, a, a couple more sort of, I would say. General questions. You know, we talk a lot about uh, obviously the open source. How would I say this? Yeah, um, in terms of the open source uh, ethos, and w- wondering if actually if I could ask this question. It uh, might be a b- little bit of a tangent, but you know, given given that users of Ethermint clearly benefit from your instru- infrastructure. How do they give back to the Evmos ecosystem and community? I feel like this is like a topic I come across more often now. i was just wondering if I could get your spin on it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, to clarify, um, I mentioned Ethermint used to be what the Evmos chain would have been called, and then that evolved into Evmos. Right, um, Ethermint. That that name has been retained, but it now describes uh, the EVM module that is built for Cosmos chains. So Avmos is one of the primary.
0: Yeah, right. Sorry, I I, I should have.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. I should have
0: made that disclaimer. No worries, Sorry. no worries.
1: So um,
0: <laughs> my head was all up in the manifesto.
1: <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. No, no worries at all. Um, so Ethermint is is the name given to the EVM module that uh, that. EVMOS uses as I mentioned earlier the Cosmos SDK lets you build all kinds of modules. Uh, so we turned uh, Ethereum's EVM into a Cosmos module as well uh, and that's called Etherman today. EVMOS so you know this was a pleasant surprise that after is launch we discovered that hey uh, this EVM on Cosmos module that we built is actually very very popular like a lot of people want to use this thing and so what you saw was you know chains like Kava that have been running for a long time they were adopting uh, Ethermint. Mm-hmm. You saw crypto.com launch Kronos and that uses Ethermint. You saw chains like Kanto launch uh, and that also uses Ethermint too. Right? And so yeah, like uh, Ethermint is is quite popular these days and um, dare I say maybe one of the most popular EVM stacks out there. Now the question you asked is okay, well how do how do we benefit from open source? I think it's all part of, you know, it's just the ethos of, of being good citizens. like we would not have been able to build Evmos had it not been for with the Cosmos SDK, which itself is open source. Tendermint is open source. IBC is open source. But also for us, it's actually had these like, you know unexpected benefits of uh, opening up pathways to collaboration, uh, allowing us to learn from other folks who are using our software, you know, being able to do shared disclosures. Of uh, security patches and exploits, so there may be like security issues that we might catch that other teams might catch who use our software. Uh, and having those bidirectional relationships with those folks has been very, very useful. And generally, um, you know, they've also a lot of folks have also managed to uh, essentially make improvements to to some of our software. And you know, there's a lot of learnings to be had there as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Um sort of leads me to my next question okay yeah it's open source and and ethos how do you consider or do you consider competition in the l2 space or do you even do you even think about it that way as a competition or or not or how, how do you between how,
1: cosmos chains yeah just b- between cosmos chains and ethereum l2s
0: yeah yeah for example
1: um well they're they're different method they're different mechanisms for scaling um you know, Ethereum and, and just decentralized applications in general. Um, there may be some competitive elements, but I think on net, the Web3 space uh, benefits hugely from having multiple approaches to solving. The same issue. And so I do think that if you look, you know, extrapolate and look, you know, five, 10 years from now, you'll see that we'll probably be leaning on both of these solutions quite heavily as a path to move forward in, in scaling. And I think, I forget what conference it was, but I th- I th- it, might, it might have been sometime in East Denver, But uh, this year. But uh, Martin Kopelman uh, from Gnosis uh, and CowSwap, I think he might have put out a really good talk on why the future of scaling Ethereum relies on both L2s and Cosmos-like L1s as extensions of what Ethereum is capable of. Because the major issue here is that Ethereum itself doesn't change that much over time. Like there's not new functionality added to it. And you can see that with recent developments and like EIP 4337, like an account abstraction, it's not implemented into the protocol directly. Right. So you you continue to expect it to not change and not evolve with the times and as new use cases come about. And that's actually what you want. You don't want a layer that secures billions of dollars in in TVL and has like all these users and applications to actually change too much over time. Right. You want it to, to remain kind of stable as is. And so, uh, and you don't want to change too quickly either. And that's where like, L2s come in. And that's where Alt- L1s that kind of extend Ethereum come in as well. And so, yeah, I do see a future where um, there is some competitive element perhaps, but I think the collaborative element for me is much more compelling.
0: How, how do you see the future with EVM 10 years down the road?
1: Yeah, so... And
0: in terms of, I mean, there's, there, there's got to be network effects for sure. But I mean, do you, do you think about that? Ten years is a long ways away.
1: Totally, totally. Well, we're already, you know, quite a ways in with the EVM, and it hasn't sort of seeded any of its of its dominance amongst developer mindshare. Mm-hmm. I think at this point, there's there's just so much, you know, mindshare entrenched in and into, into building with the EVM. The tooling is just already there it's well understood um yeah it's in in many funny ways it's very limited in what it can do which uh, forces people to come up with interesting ways of getting around its limitations. And and I, I suspect that a lot of developers actually do like the simplicity of, of being able to build with, uh, with the EVM that restricts kind of your, your design space a little bit, because most use cases don't need, most use cases don't need sophisticated um, functionality. Uh, and for those who do, they can go beyond and and you know right. use their their like call data tricks to, to push the EVM further. Um, now there are, have been uh, you know I think many would say like hey actually uh, you know the Move VM is, is an improvement over the EVM or CosmWasm is is a much better developer experience than uh, than building with the EVM. Um, and you know I've seen many many languages and uh, VMs come and go. Um, throughout, you know, the the years in the space. Hopefully, I mean, I haven't been in in here that long, maybe like uh, six years, I would say six or seven. Mm. But uh, the EVM has persisted, and Solidity as as the main language for the EVM has persisted. Right. Um, And it's only gotten more interesting and more entrenched, not less. Now, you know, other languages are catching up, and there are a few promising ones kind of launching. I think, like, the SVM has, like, seen, like, really great success as well. Uh, with, you know, both in terms of developer mindshare and tooling, but it's just there's just something about the EVM that keeps people using it, um, and I think it is just the amount of the tutorials for new users. The, you know, when people look up, uh, you know, how to get started building on Ethereum or how to get started building dApps, uh, you know, Solidity tutorials are going to be the first tutorials that come up. I think a lot of folks are like you know trying to build certain domain specific languages, and I think those you know for certain types of applications, and I think those might see greater success uh, for within their own domains, like for, you know, for, if you want to build games or something. I do think that uh, some of the efforts around replacing the EVM might be a little misguided, like, hey, building uh, like a JavaScript like language, is going to be the future because there are X number of JavaScript developers in the world. But you know, the core issue here is that when when you try and port over JavaScript like semantics into the blockchain world, that language ends up looking different and the tooling around it ends up looking different than what a JavaScript developers usual workflow would involve. And so yeah, that that itself is is an issue. I am sympathetic, though, to the fact that, you know, like the I think electric capital puts out these reports every now and again uh, annually maybe or biannually on uh, the number of developers building with each execution environment I think the number of EVM developers is actually quite low according to their studies it's like somewhere in the two thousands or you know lower thousands if I remember correctly Um, kind of just going off here that's not a lot it's not a lot at all especially relative to the number of developers out there in the world right and which number in in the millions right so one might say hey no it's like nothing yeah one might say hey we're, we're still early like the the winner hasn't been decided yet right yeah <laughs> um but I think the fact that Ethereum will continue to use the EVM into the future now the EVM might be improved and extended and I think that's kind of the attitude that Evmos is taking and a single chain can actually run multiple VMs and so you might see Evmos adopt uh, like a new VM like Cosmosm and and having us work you know on Cosmosm compatibility might be in the cards in the future but um all of this is to say that, hey, I mean, uh, like, yeah, the fact that Ethereum uses the EVM and will continue to use the EVM in the future and all of its L2s also rely on on the EVM uh, is kind of like a shelling point for, for uh, developer mindshare, like accruing to the EVM. So unless that changes, I think it will be a tough sell. Um, but yeah, those are just some some disorganized thoughts on on that.
0: No, not at all. It's fair enough. It's um, it, it, This has been super insightful, Nick. We, um, you definitely covered a lot of ground, which it does kind of bring me up to sort of wrap this up. You didn't mention account abstraction before. I thought I saw that in your 2023 roadmap, which does seem packed, by, by the way, from tackling interchain accounts and liquid staking all the way to also, like I, th- I thought I saw Dapp Store post second quarter. What's next for the Evmos ecosystem? And can you speak to, to any of those milestones in your roadmap?
1: Yeah, I think the main one to get excited for is uh, the EVM extensions that are coming to Evmos, essentially. Mm-hmm giving EVM smart contracts access to the underlying Cosmos functionality. So I mentioned those Cosmos modules early on, Uh, those can be built into the chain, but the EVM smart contracts kind of just live in EVM world. They don't typically have access to to any outside functionality. And this is typical for, you know, like on Ethereum mainnet, this is how like the EVM on Ethereum mainnet works. And so what we can do is through a feature called precompiles, That is built into the EVM, we can extend what's possible in the EVM uh, and give them access, give smart contracts access to Cosmos level functionality. So we can give smart contracts access to IBC to make IBC transfers. We can give smart contracts access to staking to allow smart contracts to stake we can give smart contracts access to voting on governance proposals and so people can start building DAOs that can actually vote on native governance and represent the interests of the, the you know the collective interests of, of a certain DAO Right. And and so, you know, the limits of what's possible is very interesting. You know, in the future, we might be able to extend this to include things like account abstraction, as you mentioned. Things like cron jobs uh, are being considered as well. Cron jobs are scheduled tasks that you can basically say, hey, I'm going to pay for this transaction now, but please execute it like uh, three days from now or something. Mm, So, you know, this goes back to. Having EVMOS be that programmable middleware for the rest of the interchain. Like many other Cosmos chains, don't have an EVM. They don't support like MetaMask. They don't support Foundry or Hardhat or Truffle or any of the tooling available to smart contract developers today. Right? They are truly application-specific chains, and that's where EVMOS can help fill in the gaps. Is say, hey, listen. Okay, there's something that this application is focused. This application chain is focused on doing really, really well. But it can't do everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Build on EVMOS to help supplement what it needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh, EVM extensions is the main I think message to take away here.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. <laughs> but also, is there is there anything or any other key takeaway to add that I haven't asked about or I might have missed because it it is a complex world. Um, you're. You have going on over there? Oh, totally. There's, <laughs> for oh, yeah. for the regular folks to to understand, and e- even some even Web three people. I mean, it's um, there's a lot to dissect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're we're juggling a lot all the time. That's not just Evmos F- folks. That's not just Cosmos folks. that's just everyone in crypto is is always having to to have like twenty tabs open just to to understand <laughs> what's going on. But no, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Edmos yeah, is I a, like that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> is a fast, secure, uh, simple hub that uh, brings all of the tool, battle tested tooling EVM developers know and love to the Cosmos ecosystem and pushes them further by giving you the ability to uh, leverage cross chain interactions in a trust minimized way. I think if there's one thing that people take away here is it's that. Um, Web three can do more than than what it's been doing so far. Like the the, the space the space of possible use cases mm-hmm. uh, are have been as vastly underexplored, even within DeFi, but beyond DeFi as well. Um, and so I think the way we get there is by enabling developers to build more easily in, you know, more complex cross-chain environments and also making the user experience a lot better, such that the user doesn't need to care about what blockchain they're using. They just can focus on the application itself and forget about the underlying uh, infrastructure layer. If, If there's one thing that blockchains can do right, it's to remove themselves from the mental equation. Uh, Ten years from now, I'd be very sad if that if that didn't happen. If if users still had to think about the blockchain layer,
0: right? Yeah, and actually, to kind of be a geek and quote your manifesto, uh, which which states, well, one of the one of the thoughts that I had written down was that the of core development team is building for a world where the next million Web three users are simply regular users.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> I think that that speaks. That speaks a lot for 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 what you were just um, for what you took us through. So. So thanks for that. Nick, is there what's the best way to follow your work? And, and um, maybe, of course, our contact and, of course, participate, et cetera, in your ongoing efforts
1: for all updates related to Evmos to follow uh uh, org, that's E-V-M-O-S-O-R-G on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Discord and Telegram uh, community that you should feel free to join. For myself, I'm uh, Nick underscore XYZ, that's N-I-C underscore XYZ, and you know, I tweet out my thoughts sometimes, so, yeah, happy to, to have folks uh, listen in.
0: Yeah, awesome. I did see that you're also more of a new Twitter user, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) I did stalk your profile (laughs)
1: before. Well, I've been lurking on, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No, I've been lurking on Twitter for a while now, but uh, I thought it finally was time to sort of start sharing some thoughts here.
0: Yeah, I have sort of a love-hate relationship with it. But um, yeah, it's it's, it's where the action is. So um, it's good to follow that. Um, Great, well, we'll include all of this information in our show notes. And with that thought in mind, well, thank you so much for, for this EVMOS dive and the conversation. I mean, it, it certainly helps to paint the macro and the micro picture of its, of its role in, in solutions, products. It obviously clarifies its connection to Cosmos and what it provides. And also by leveraging Cosmos and Ethereum's tech and ecosystems. So it all s- sounds very promising and your roadmap is, is pretty pretty stacked. I look forward to your milestones in 2023. So, so Nick, thanks for being with us and and all the best to to you and your team.
1: Thanks Nina, I really appreciate it. And uh thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome, thanks. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Bariam Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on bariammusic.com. All of the supporting information is on our website, BlockchainRecorder.com. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode.